Well, hello, Beth Kuhn, and anyone else who happens to be watching. Hi, um, my name is Tim, and I'll be leading you through uh, our continued study of the book of Yehoshua, the book of Joshua. This week, we're in chapter 10. Now, Jericho and I have been laid to waste in the previous chapters. If Israel, with God's assistance, was to continue through the land in this way, it would all be wasteland. But that is not what God had promised the Israelites. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, we read, Now when Adonai your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns dug that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and you eat and are full, then watch yourself so that you do not forget Adonai, who brought you out from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. So these first initial conquests were so complete, absolute really, so as to establish what could be accomplished by God for the sake of the Israelites. Normally in war, the victors are left to rebuild all that is destroyed, from its economy to its physical infrastructure. But a land so decimated is not what God had promised. The Gibeonites' defection from combatant to servant was the turning point as it set a dangerous precedent for the Canaanite kingdoms. All this made it possible for Israel to conquer a land with its prosperity intact. This is what God wanted for the Israelites, and it's what he wants for us. To conquer our enemies on the battlefield of our souls and to inherit a prosperous land. But we must honor the covenant we have with him and the covenants we make with each other. We must be obedient to his will, and through his victories, we will be vindicated. All right, so let's open our Bibles and dive into the text. Joshua 10, and I'll be reading not the whole chapter this week, because this is a bit of a longer chapter than, than we're used to. I'll read of the first 27 verses. And again, I'm reading from the Tree of Life version. Now it came to pass that Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, just as he had done to Jericho and its king. So he had done to Ai and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and remained among them. So he feared greatly because Gibeon was a large city as one of the royal cities, in fact larger than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmut, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up and help me. Let's attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and Bnei Israel. So the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmut, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered themselves and went up. They and all their armies camped against Gibeon and attacked it. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua in camp at Gilgal, saying, Don't abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, for all the kings of the Amorites living in the hill country have gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. Adonai said to Joshua, do not, fear, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will stand before you. 
So Joshua came up upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. Adonai threw them into confusion before Israel, defeated them with a crushing defeat at Gibeon, chased them by the road that goes up to Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. While they were fleeing before Israel down the descent of Beth Haron, Adonai cast down great stones from heaven on them all the way to Azekah, so they died. More of them died from the hailstones that, that, than those B'nai Yisrael killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to Adonai on the day Adonai gave the Amorites over to B'nai Yisrael and said in the eyes of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, moon over the Ayalon Valley. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. It is, is it not written in the book of Yasher? Thus the sun halted in the middle of the sky and did not hurry to go down for about a full day. There was no day like that, before it or after it, when Adonai listened to the voice of a man. For Adonai fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. Now these five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makeda. So it was reported to Joshua, the five kings are found hidden in the cave at Makeda. Joshua said, roll large stones onto the mouth of the cave, assign men over it to guard them, but don't stay there yourselves. Chase your enemies and attack them at the rear. Don't let them enter cities, for Adonai your God has given them into your hand. So it was that Joshua and B'nai Israel finished striking them with a very great slaughter until they were wiped out, though some of their survivors escaped into the fortified cities. Then all the people returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Makeda. No one dared sharpen his tongue against B'nai Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. So they did so and brought out those king, those five kings to him from the cave the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmut, Lachish, and Eglon. When they brought out those kings to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come forward and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, Never fear or be dismayed. Chazak, be strong, for thus will Adonai do to all your enemies whom you will fight. After this, Joshua struck them and put them to death, then hanged them on five trees, and they remained hanging on the trees until evening. It came about at sunset that Joshua commanded that they be taken down from the trees and thrown into the cave where they had hidden themselves. Then they placed large stones on the mouth of the cave, which are there to this very day. Uh, and then the, the chapter continues on to the conquest of uh, the remaining cities of the southern uh, part of Canaan. Okay, so going back to verse 1, again, we're going to go through this verse by verse or section by section if there isn't anything of note really to say for each verse and kind of get a picture of what's going on here. And then I'll wrap up at the end. Okay, going back to verse 1 of uh, Joshua 10. Now, it came to pass that Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and had dedicated it for destruction. Okay, so we'll stop right there. Adonai Zedek. Adonai, of course, is a general term, meaning Lord. 
and Zedek is Hebrew for righteousness. So this is the Lord of righteousness or so-called Lord of righteousness. Um, in essence, you can be called whatever you want, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you are righteous. Um, it, it, it's apparent that the, the, the kings of Jerusalem had been customarily be, been called Adonai Zedek, the Lord of righteousness. Uh, but again, that doesn't make you a Lord of righteousness. And, and we'll see as this plays out how there is a Lord of righteousness, there is a Lord of our righteousness that the Lord of righteousness, capital L, capital R, will be fighting against um, throughout our lives. And we see here also that Adonai Zedek, like the Gibeonites, attributed Israel's victories to Joshua, not to God, and thus betraying their inability to see what was spiritually going on, the spiritual realities at play here. Uh, they had heard uh, that Joshua had taken I and had dedicated it for destruction, just as he, Joshua, had done to Jericho and its king. So he, Joshua, had done to I and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon, Gibeon had made peace with Israel and remained among them. So no mention of, of God in this from the perspective of Adonai Zedek. Verse 2, so he feared greatly. This is Adonai Zedek. So he feared greatly because Gibeon was a large city as one of the royal cities, in fact, larger than I, and all its men were mighty. So ironically here, we see that making peace with Gibeon instilled more fear in the king of Jerusalem than if Israel had conquered Gibeon because Gibeon was full of warriors. Uh, so we see here an instance where this kind of maneuver can be uh, can be very advantageous for people at war, uh, uh, and even among the spiritual enemies. Verse three: Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, "Come up and help me. Let's attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and Bnei Yisrael." So everything that happens in this chapter hinges upon the, the fear and, and uh, lack of spiritual understanding of the king of Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek. Because, his, because of his, uh, his thinking, the way he couldn't understand the reality, he was able to rope in these other kings of the land, uh, and then we see what plays out in the rest of the chapter. So, so keep that in mind. Um, verse 5. So the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered themselves and went up. They and all their armies camped against Gibeon and attacked it. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua and camp. Gilgal saying, don't abandon your servants. Come to us quickly and save us. Help us for the kings of the Amorites living in the hill country have gathered against us. Um, here's Gibeon now calling on Israel to fulfill its responsibility to help them, right? And if not save them outright, at least to help them. And again, referring to themselves as servants, okay? Verse 7, so Joshua went up to, from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. Adonai said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will stand before you. The five Amorite kings are so fearful of Israel that they don't attack Israel. They go after Gibeon. Um, 
and God gathers them up in that way to enable an easy victory, right? So again, the the strategies, the tactics of the enemy, God will use against the enemy. Verse 9, so Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. So here we see a miracle. That it only took one night, uh, let alone an, an entire day, or even a few days, which was more likely given moving, moving a mass of soldiers. This is, this is miraculous. What this teaches us, I believe, is that we should never hesitate to fulfill our responsibilities to others. We have given our word, and we must honor it. And God is rewarding Israel by, uh, by them uh, honoring their responsibility to the Gibeonites. Uh, and he's rewarding them with an easy victory. Moving on to verse 10. Adonai threw them into confusion. Remember that. Um, and we're going to touch on that a little bit later. He threw them into confusion before Israel. Defeated them with a crushing defeat at Gibeon. Chased them by the road that goes up to Beth Haron and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. While they were fleeing before Israel down the descent of Beth Haron, Adonai cast down great stones from heaven on them and all the way to Azekah, so, that, so they died. More of them died from the hailstones than, than those B'nai Israel killed with the sword. Something interesting here uh, I, I want to share uh, is that the, it, it's believed that these hailstones are vintage hailstones. And, uh, so of all of the plagues that happened during the, the Exodus, uh, the hailstones and thunder were the only ones that ceased um, the Hebrew word is chadal. All the other plagues ended in some other way. Um, so the thought here is that these hailstones have been suspended since then. They, they were about to come down, but they stopped. They ceased. And they've been hanging there ever since. So that's just something interesting. Whether, whether it's actual or not is not the point, but I thought that that was interesting. Um, what is for sure here is that tying this battle to the defeat of, the, uh, of Egypt um, an account the Canaanites are well aware of uh, is another way to instill fear. It is a way, is a tactic that, that is, is God through, through Yehoshua, through Joshua, is using to remind them, hey, this is the people of God, uh, the God who helped defeat the, the Egyptians. So that we know for sure. Verse 10. Then Joshua spoke to Adonai on the day Adonai gave the Amorites over to B'nai Israel and said in the eyes of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, moon, over the Ayalon Valley. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Is it not written in the book of Yeshur, uh, the book of the upright man? Thus the sun halted in the middle of the sky and did not hurry to go down for about a full day. So also interesting. Why, why did Joshua request this miracle? It isn't, it isn't apparent in the text why he requested this. The sages say that, uh, that he did so because the next day was Shabbat. And Joshua would have had to stop his pursuit uh, if, if, Shabbat, if he came uh, upon Shabbat while, uh, while in the midst of this battle. So it was daytime for however long it took, it was Friday, for however long it took the Israelites to take vengeance on its enemies. And the estimate is about 36 hours that that took place. Uh, going back here, the book, the book of Jasher, your translation may say, the book of Yashar, the upright man, um, 
Sefer Hayasher, the Scroll of the Upright, is believed to be an unknown book, perhaps of poetry or a lost book. Uh, but some ancient rabbis actually believe that it's a nickname for the Torah. So we have so that's that's something interesting to consider there too. Moving on to verse fourteen, there was no day like that before it or after it when Adonai listened to the voice of a man. For Adonai fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. Verse 16. Now these kings, these five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makedah. Anyone uh, working in opposition to God and his will, no matter how significant or numerous or strong a force they may appear to be, are ultimately cowards. They're ultimately cowardly, whether, whether externally or internally. Uh, anything that we're battling internally, it's, it is it has, it has its uh, root or its default in cowardice. So remember that. Verse 17. So it was reported to Joshua, the five kings are found hidden in the cave at Makeda. Verse 18. Joshua said, roll large stones onto the mouth of the cave, assign men over it to guard them. Verse 19. But don't stay there yourselves. Chase your, after your enemies and attack them at the rear. Don't let them enter their cities, for Adonai your God has given them into your hand. Um, the, the, the phrase attack them at the rear in the Hebrew is tail them or be, at, be like a tail to them. The only other use of this idiom in the Hebrew scriptures is in regard to Amalek in Deuteronomy 25 verses 17 to 19. And I'll read it here. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way as you came out from Egypt, how he happened upon you along the way and attacked those among you in the rear. All the stragglers behind you, when you were tired and weary, he did not fear God. So, interesting that there's a tie-in here with Amalek. <clears throat> so it was that Joshua, this is verse 20, so it was that Joshua and B'nai Israel finished striking them with a very great slaughter, and until they were, uh, until they were wiped out, though some of them, some of their survivors escaped into the fortified cities. Okay. So this is, this is, the last of a series of statements that are, are a bit confusing or confounding. The battle against the kings of Canaan, led by Adonai Zedek, by Lord, the so-called Lord of Righteousness, are much like the war with Amalek. And so this reference back to how you would chase uh, these kings, referring back to Deuteronomy 25, where we see Amalek mentioned. Uh, it's it basically it's saying that it just keeps going. This, this keeps going. So we, we, if we go back to verse, 20, verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 10. Um, Adonai threw them into confusion, defeated them with a crushing defeat. So he defeated them with a crushing defeat, struck them. More of them died. Uh, then down in, in verse 16, these five kings fled. So it wasn't complete. Um, it wasn't a crushing defeat. The five kings fled. Uh, moving on then to verse 20, we see um, striking them with a very great slaughter until they were wiped out, though some of their survivors escaped. So, so it's, it's crushing, it's complete, it's, it's a great slaughter, they're wiped out, but there's a remnant, and the kings fled. So it's, it's, all, it's all not quite so done. And I, I believe that this is like the battle we have, the generation after generation battle, God has against Amalek. We have an ongoing struggle and battle 
against these kings of Canaan, these forces within ourselves that are opposed to God, that do not fear God. Um, that's what I think is being pictured here. Exodus seventeen sixteen. Then Moses said, By the hand upon the throne of Adonai, Adonai will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God fights against Amalek, and we fight against these kings who do not fear God. Moving on, verse 21. Then all the people returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Makeda. No one dared sharpen his tongue against Bani Israel, uh, meaning that, that no one from that point on, no one even said a harsh word or berated or belittled or threw insults at, um, at, at Israel. Verse 22. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. Verse 23. So they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmut, Lachish, and Eglon. This, uh, this fulfills Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy 7, verses 20 to 24, and I'll read it here. Moreover, Adonai your God will send the hornet against them until the survivors and those in hiding perish before you. You should not be terrified of them, since Adonai your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. Adonai your God will drive away those nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them all at once, or else the beasts of the field will multiply on you. But Adonai, your God, will give them over to you, and he will throw them into great confusion. Remember we said earlier in verse 10, Adonai threw them into confusion. This is again uh, hearkening back to this uh, prophecy of Moses in Deuteronomy 7. Until they are destroyed, he will hand over their kings to you, and you will blot out their name from under the heavens. No man will stand up to you until you have destroyed them all. Again, going back to the, the point of God wanting to give, promising to give the people of Israel uh, a land that has um, cities and infrastructure and, and all these things that they did not have to build or plant or dig. Um, this is... This is an intentional conquest of the land little by little. Because if it was all wiped out and Israel can't instantly occupy all of the land, the livestock will overpopulate, the weeds will grow, like everything will be out of control. But here we see this is going through gradually and it's all very, uh, very much intentional and orchestrated by God. Brilliant. Verse 24. When they brought out those kings to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come forward and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and put their feet on their necks. By doing this, by instructing the men of war to do this, Joshua is showing the nations that this is not just Joshua's doing alone. Again, we see through um, the, the, the Gibeonites, through uh, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem. They're attributing this to Joshua, right? They're saying, Joshua, Joshua, Joshua. Um, he, what he's wanting to do in this act, uh, in this command, is to show that it is not Joshua's doing alone, but it is the work of the united men of Israel. Uh, instead of Joshua doing this, expressing that they are under his feet, these kings are under his feet, he wants to make them even lower, that they are actually under the, the feet of, uh, of Israel itself. Verse 25. 
Then Joshua said to them, Never fear or be dismayed. Chazak, be strong. For thus will Adonai do to all your enemies whom you will fight. So again, we see here, Adonai is fighting and we are fighting as well. Verse 26, after this, Joshua struck them and put them to death, then hanged them on five trees, and they remained hanging on the trees until evening. Note here that their, their deaths are the reverse order of Yeshua's. They were in a cave, then they were brought out and killed, and then they were hung, uh, presumably on a tree, on a pole, something made of wood, versus Yeshua hanging on a tree, dying, and then being put in a cave. So just something interesting to compare there. There may be something more there if you look. Verse 27. It came about at sunset that Joshua commanded that they be taken down from the trees and thrown into the cave where they had hidden themselves. Then they placed large stones at the mouth of the cave, which are there to this very day. Uh, so something to note here, uh, in, we look back in, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, and it states this. His body is not to remain all night on the tree. Instead, you must certainly bury him the same day, for anyone hanged is a curse of God. You must not defile your land that Adonai your God is giving you as an inheritance. So the love that they had, the, the people of Israel, the love of and obedience to God, was greater than any hatred they may or may not have had for their enemy. Uh, maybe they didn't hate their enemy at all. They just defeated them. So Joshua, so so they're they're taking they're they're obeying this command to take down these bodies and bury them um, before uh, uh, before too long. Joshua is also taking advantage of how this surely demoralized the surrounding city states preventing anyone from mounting an adequate offense against Israel and then ultimately saving many lives. Um, so this is, this is also another brilliant move um, by Joshua. Then we, uh, from the, that was 27, verse 27. Then from 28 to 43, we have the city-by-city city conquest uh, uh, that uh, uh, finishes out the chapter. And we, we first start with Makeda. We start there, of course, because that's where the five kings were being harbored in a cave. So Makeda is dealt with first. Um, in, in, in verse 28, so we read, On that day Joshua captured Makeda and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword, putting it and every single soul in it under the ban of destruction, leaving no survivors. So he did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Now, the king... the the king of Jericho's death is not actually recorded in Joshua, but, but he was likely killed in combat in contrast to how the five kings, of, uh, the Amorite kings were killed, who were executed. So that's something to note there. From Makeda, we move on to Libna, from Libna to Lachish, from Lachish to Gezer, and then to Eglon, uh, and, that brings, and then to Hebron and Debir, uh, and that brings us all the way down to verse 40. Uh, so Joshua conquered the entire country. And by entire country, we, we, we know that that means the southern kingdom. So not the, the entire uh, land of Canaan, but the, the entire country. There, the, the, hill, the hill country, the, 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 excuse me, the Negev, the low land and its slopes with all their kings. He left no survivors. 
But he put everything that breathed under the ban dedicated or dedicated for destruction, just as Adonai, God of Israel, had commanded. So putting everything that breathed under the ban or destroying everything that breathed was following God's instruction. This wasn't Joshua just being, um, you know, bloodthirsty. Um, this was this was in obedience to God. Thus Joshua defeated them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza, all the country of Goshen, as far as Gibeon. Thus Joshua captured all those kings and their lands in a single stroke, because Adonai, God of Israel, fought for Israel. Thus are then Joshua and all of Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. Okay, so when we honor our covenant with God, by our obedience to him, he will give us the land, redeeming it from the influence of forces opposed to him forces that are ultimately cowardly. Again, the battle against these kings of Canaan, led by so-called Adonai Zedek, Lord of Righteousness, are much like the war with Amalek. It just keeps going from generation to generation. The kingdom of Yeshua may be here and now, but the battles still need to be fought until the end. So don't let your guard down. I would like to end by reading... Uh, Philippians chapter 3, which speaks of the vigilance we must maintain and the proper perspective we should have if we are to be victorious. Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To keep writing the same things to you is not troublesome for me, but for you it is a safeguard. What he's saying here is they're having a lot of the same issues over and over and over again. It's not troublesome to him but it is for them a safeguard. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship the Ruach HaKodesh and glorify in King Yeshua and have not depended on the flesh, though I myself might have confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he might depend on the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the Torah of Pharisee, as for zeal, zeal, persecuting Messiah's community, as for the Torah, for Torah righteousness, found blameless. So he's describing himself as essentially a, I don't know, a lord of righteousness. But whatever things were gained to me, thus I have considered as loss for the sake of the king. More than that, I consider all things to be lost in comparison to the surpassing value of the knowledge of King Yeshua, my Adonai, my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them garbage in order that I might gain the king and be found in him not having my righteousness derived from Torah, but one that is through trusting in the king, the righteousness that Zedek from God based on trust. My aim is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, if somehow I might arrive at the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or been perfected, but I press on if only I might take hold of that for which King Yeshua took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself as having taken hold of this. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal for the reward 
of the upward calling of God in King Yeshua. Therefore, let all who are mature have this attitude. And if you have a different attitude in anything, this also God will reveal to you. Nevertheless, let us live up to the same standard we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join the following Join in following my example and notice those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk who are enemies of the cross of, of the king. I have often told you about them, and now I am even weeping as I tell you. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven. And from there we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Adonai, Yeshua, the King. He will transform this humble body of ours into the likeness of his glorious body through the power that enables him even to do all things in subjection to himself. We know, of course, that he will put all things under his feet. Another reference to what's happening here in Joshua 10. All right, so we'll end there for this week. Thank you for listening and bless you all. And may he make us all into the people he wants us to be. Shalom.